Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sense and More. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my wonderful guest today is Samir Samal, and I'm so happy to have him here. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a speaker, educator, and the chief financial officer at Blue Ocean Global Wealth and Blue Ocean Global Technology. Now, prior to co-founding those companies, he was a senior investment analyst at the Bank of Nova Scotia, an investment banking intermediary at Merrill Lynch and Company, a private banker at Morgan Stanley. And as an intermediary at Merrill Lynch and Co., uh, Samir fostered national partnerships. He conducted middle market valuations and ensured that his clients made the most prudent technology resource allocations. And as part of the investment strategy group at the Bank of Nova Scotia, Samir actively wrote white papers. He delivered keynote presentations and engaged in institutional business development. Samir is passionate about helping clients. I can attest to that. Improve profitability, build brand equity, and adapt to the digital revolution. He is a CFA charter holder a CFP professional, a Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst, SM, and in May of 2017, he was named an iconic leader, creating a better world for all by the All Ladies League and the Women's Economic Forum. Wow. Congratulations on that. Welcome to the show, Samir. Hi, Frankie. Thank you. It's certainly an honor and pleasure. We were supposed to have your your other partner, the CEO of those two companies, Rita Chang, with us today. Unfortunately, she um, fell ill and she wasn't able to join us, but I promised her a shout out. So we're going to say, hey, Rita, Margarita. (laughs) Absolutely. And she deserves her own time anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're really sorry that she couldn't be here today. And and yeah, we'll give her some time of her own. And and, uh, we just wish her all all the best and hope that she recovers very quickly. So there we go. you are a very unique individual. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you are a speaker and you're an educator and you tell me that, that your company is strategy is built on education. And when people think of financial planning, they think of uh, people who work in the, in the, you know, financial world that, that they're a very um, conservative breed that they, you know, are very standoffish. You happen to be like one of the most engaging, friendliest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, you make friends everywhere you go. Are you an well, anomaly? Frankie, first off, that's, <laughs> that's very kind. Um, you know, maybe you need to meet more of the good folks. So look, everything is the, uh, is the bell curve, Frankie. There's a lot of people in the middle. There's people on, on both ends. And, you know, I feel fortunate and blessed to be an educator. I think, being an educator is about learning and, and teaching and sharing information so that others can make the most informed decisions. And I'm a big believer in the abundance mentality. And so I think that that is the heart of um, being able to make a difference in this world is educating yourself so that you can um, educate others. I mean, we just like we just heard your your qualifications. You you know, you've got degrees at the Yazoo and, and you, you know, you're CFO of, of two companies and um, 
And yet, you know, you just met my my engineer producer and you're like, oh, what's your name? How can I, how can we connect? Are you on Facebook? You know, I mean, like this is not an ordinary um, projection for somebody. Usually, you know, they're like, yeah, okay, you're, you're a worker bee and, uh, you know, we're going to leave you alone. Nobody is too small for you. I love that. Or insignificant, Frankie, let's hum- say. Humility is, is the essence of life. And I think it's how we make decisions and treat people when we don't have to be nice. And there's no agenda that ultimately defines us. Right. I have been so blessed to make wonderful friends uh, in all walks of life. And uh, when it comes down to it, we're all people. Whether you're a famous movie star, actor, businessman, businesswoman, politician, uh, you know, I just made a friend um, here in New York who was a secretary and gatekeeper, and um, they wanted to make an introduction to a potential technology client. After we spoke for about five, ten minutes, they realized that uh, their uncle runs a few successful businesses. So, you know, I think uh, you try to use your ears and mouth proportionally, listen to people, and, and try not to judge. You know, human beings, it's so easy to pass judgment and make assumptions. And I, I try to um, be aware of that biased blind spot, per se. I love that about you. I mean, you went you went to India. You're from it. You, you know, your nationality is Indian. Um, you're an American Indian, I guess. Yeah. And you, you wrote to me and you said that when you're in India, they think you're just an American. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, on that subject, I am Indian American, yes. But when I go to India, I'm just American. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I am I'm certainly blessed to be uh, spend time in, in India where our technology company has operations. And in many ways, I'm a facilitator of relationships, energy, opportunity, uh, and knowledge between uh, India and the United States, including uh, speaking at the U.S. State Department's Foreign Service Institute this past February and educating on India's demographic dividend. That, that's incredible. You know, there's so many opportunities in India, I think for, for people. And yet there's such diversity in, um, economic proportions, you know, like how, how do you relate to that when you go like, how, how, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like how, how, how do you respond to, to the diversity that you see there? It's probably more severe than what you see in New York city. (laughs) Well, in India, for instance, I think there's 32 languages and each state has its own language and, you know, I, India is um, an incredible place. I mean, it's it's one of those where there's it's going through a very historic time period. I mentioned, mm-hmm. Frankie, the demographic dividend. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's 500 million people under the age of 26. And that means that the world needs Indian human capital. And, yes, there's uh, many English speakers uh, in, in India. And Hindi is a national language. There's 22 official languages. And each... Uh, part of India is is certainly unique, and um, I tried to put it contextually, Frankie, that when England went through industrialization in uh, the 1780s, there were about 10 million people. U.S. Uh, 1880s, another uh, 50 million people, and Japan 1950s, let's just say 70 million people. That's 130 million people that went through what economists deem industrialization. And today, mm-hmm. India is about 1.3 billion people, uh, and so. Uh, you know, with um, about one-third of the way through industrialization, there's so much value and opportunity, and there's this energy about India where if you compare it to the United States, it's roughly five times the population, uh, but, you know, in one-third of the size. You know, tell me again that statistic on how many under 26? 
There's roughly 500, uh, 500 million people under the age. 500 million of, under the age. You know, and it's interesting because in America, we're looking at, you know, so many elderly and, and our young people are not having children. Our young people are not, um, you know, where, where, where's the next generation going to come from if they, if they stop having kids? We're going to have to import them. We're going to have to import those 500 million from India and put them to work or do something, you know, to keep everybody going. It's crazy. I don't know what happened. What do you think happened? Why do you well, think young I mean, people aren't, aren't, aren't having families? I mean, they'll say, oh, it's the money, mm-hmm. but it's not the money. Well, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's a societal shift. Uh, you know, people uh, are, are just being more thoughtful about family planning. I think there are trends whereby people are just getting married later. You know, it used to be a normal thing to get married in mm-hmm. your early 20s, mid-20s, and now it's a normal thing for people to... um wait until their 30s or it's sure. normal um, for even, you know, independent, successful women uh, to want to have children on their own uh, without getting married. And so there right. are these trends and opportunities where people don't have maybe as much societal pressure. And that could be part of the impetus for that. But what would happen financially? I mean, when you think about it, financially, um, people, you know, their 60s are, are retiring. Maybe they're not retiring. Maybe they're working until their 80s. But they're, but there's the young people, there's no kids. There's no kids to take over for, let's say, that nexus generation when they're our age. Like, finan- like what would happen to the world? I mean, it's just a curious, I'm just crazy question, I know. But it's interesting to think about. Well, my, my comment would be, look, people have different aspirations, and they're oftentimes focused, you know, more on purpose. And having children maybe is a priority, but it's not as immediate of a priority. Uh, and you alluded to, you know, China, for instance, where there's a big... Uh, challenge demographically, you know, they, they joke that it's, you know, one person caring for, you know, two parents and four grandparents. And Mm -hmm. because of that one child policy, they had kind of the opposite challenge that India does. And so, um, you know, that's a big reason why many companies, uh, many of the fortune 500 are investing disproportionately in India and have operations there. Um, I think the national, uh, median age uh, was about 37.8 years uh, in the United States in 2015. Now, let's let's look at, at the digital um, era there or the age there. Now, I'm assuming that most people have a cell phone under, you know, over, over 16. Or Would that be a true assumption of the people that you met in India? Do they, are, they all have cell phones? You know, again, India is uh, a relatively poor country. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, something like a billion people living on less than $2 a day. Uh, Having said that, with so many young people, people are going from no Internet access at all to having a device where they have unfiltered information and communication access uh, from something that's in the palm of their hand or the back of their their pocket. And so that changes... uh, the way that the country evolved and digital India uh, is a real opportunity. Um, and, you know, it, the population, uh, they call it the demographic dividend, but uh, as it's been well written and documented, it's also the demographic bomb. If you don't have opportunities and you create the right ecosystems in order to help people achieve their full potential and, and give them purpose. So uh, like everything, um, you know, there, there's a two-sided coin there. Yeah, I know that we're going to go to commercial break very shortly, but I know that, you know, 
um, the telephone companies, the the prices that they charge um, in, in in third world countries like like in India, let's say, or Thailand, it, it's very inexpensive for the people there to make phone calls. Um, it's triple or quadruple that for people over here to call them. And so there there has been a shift, I think, in 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 thinking about how they're going to allow them to communicate. We are going to go to commercial break, Samal. I'm sorry. Uh, we could talk about that when we come back. But listen. Sure. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions at all, stick around and listen because this man is going to answer them for you. Don't worry. We are going to a commercial break. You're listening to Frankie Sense and more. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Oh, you got heck no. We're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Reaching out from the heartland of the United States with quality programming, this is Toginet Radio. wondered where the terms used in computer speak originated? The word cookie, that packet of information that travels between a browser and web server, is named after the fortune cookie, a cookie with an embedded message. Rebooting the computer is literally pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The name Google was originally coined in 1938 by Milton Sirota, nephew of mathematician Edward Kasner, during a discussion of large numbers. Uh, Google is the number one, followed by 100 zeros. The word Yahoo was originally invented by Jonathan Swift and used in his book Gulliver's Travels. It's a derogatory term for a person who is repulsive in appearance. Yahoo founders Jerry Yang and David Philo selected the name because they considered themselves Yahoos. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Okay, and we're back, and we have Samir with us, and he had he wanted to respond to some of those comments that I had made um, just before we went to break. And do you remember what they were, Samir? Sure. No, I think this context uh, with respect to India having that population of 1.3 billion people, and there's I think 400 million roughly internet users in India, uh, yeah. and that means that you know roughly 70 percent or over 70 percent of the population is not using the Internet, uh, although that is, is certainly contributing. Contributing factors, of course, to this are a lack of infrastructure and the need to um, improve Internet literacy. I mean, Google, for instance, uh, has been involved in putting Internet in all the train stations around India, and I know many of the big tech firms are focused on how they can give more access uh, in India. And I know contextually speaking, uh, between, I think it's around 2000 to 2010, uh, mm-hmm. I think 64 million jobs, uh, were generated in India, and um, 
you know, I, the labor force participation witnessed, um, you know, on the other hand, an increase about, uh, I think, 72 million just in absolute terms. And while many Asian countries are, are aging, uh, like Japan, for instance, uh, approximately half of India's, you know, 1.3 billion people are, are you know, under the age of, of 26. And by 2020, I think it's forecasted uh, to be the youngest country in the world with a median age of 29. So we're talking about you know, are the most populous are right there with China, uh, but also being the youngest, which makes right. it, historically speaking, uh, unique. It is unique. And, and the beauty about that is is that with technology moving so quickly and they're being so young, they're so their brains are so facile that they're going to move with it quickly. And I love that, you know, with them having opportunities with the Internet and with phones and just having a phone, you know, a cell phone that works, they're able to become entrepreneurs. They're, you know, you see them on Fiverr, you see them in, in different places, you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. doing their graphics, selling their whatever it is that they're good at doing. And they have an opportunity to do that now to, to showcase themselves and do it for themselves and not have to work for somebody else, which is great. Absolutely. I mean, today, you know, you can work, communicate remotely. And, um, you know, it, it used to be in many ways, frankly, uh, Henry Ford in the assembly line and traditional business. And now it is the disassembly line and countries and people are arranged uh, according to their comparative advantage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Now you offer, um, you teach at a university there. You, you teach an entrepreneur course, don't you? In India? Well, Frankie, I'm blessed where we receive a lot, a number of invitations to uh, lecture and speak. So I don't have an official role with any university, as I don't um, think that uh, that necessarily is in the cards in the immediate future. Having said that, we are focused on engaging and identifying the brightest young people. And to do that, we have a unique model. Oftentimes we go out and we lecture on an entrepreneurial mindset and the intangibles of success, like how do you measure trust? How do you measure relationships, mm-hmm. your ability to communicate effectively? And any great building requires a great foundation. So in doing so, we're able to um, find young people that maybe are a good fit for us long-term and engage them and give them responsibilities and, um, and be able to invest in, in people, which I think is the most precious opportunity that um, our company has, people. Okay, I'm going to tell folks how we met. I have a partner, Alex Akorji. We are writing a book together, and we've done some other things together. And Alex was at the um, the Women's Economic Forum uh, at, at a conference, and she ran into Samir. And Samir said, oh, you know, tell me about your friends. And she's like, oh, you should meet my friend Frankie. And as soon as he came back to New York, he called me. <laughs> and we've been in, in constant contact. And, it's, it, I mean, this is how quickly you move. Like, you know, she could have said... You could have come back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Frankie. You know, it's Alex's friend. You know, who's she? But you, you moved on it. Like, it's crazy. I don't know anybody who is like you. Life is a function of relationships and happiness. You are an awesome person. I mean, you're so wealthy of the heart. And there's this, uh, I would say, wavelength and energy that you give out with respect to going back and listening to some of your past shows. And <laughs> the fact that you are so purpose-driven, uh, I gravitate towards that. I mean, even something as simple as, I don't know if your audience knows, but Frankie is a painter, and she happens to paint uh, pets, particularly uh, dogs, and she's amazing at it. And uh, she Thank does you. it, and she gives the vast majority of what she receives for these paintings, she gives back. And she can, I'd, I'd love for you to mention that for your audience that doesn't know. And I saw that, and I immediately said, hey, I need to, um, I need to have you do a painting as well. So, like, when you 
look at people and you lift up the hood and you see how they spend their time and what they value. Uh, and I ask you about, you know, why are you a radio host, Frankie? And, you know, because, you know, I want to make an impact on this world. And I thought of Steve Jobs, you know, making a small dent in the universe. And so that sense of purpose and that uh, heart-centered mentality uh, is what I found to be so awesome. And even Alex talking about you, it was just such an energy and excitement that I said, hey, I got to find out um, who Frankie is. Uh, and, uh, and I was blessed for that. <laughs> Wow, that's really sweet. Thank you. Well, let's go back to your businesses for a moment because you have two, um, and they're distinctly different, I think, in a way. You've got the uh, Blue Ocean Global Wealth, and that's an investment advisory firm. And you've got the Blue Ocean Global Technology, which is your, um, sorry, it, it, you know, it, it, it's your internet. I mean, it's your technology company and where you help people with businesses and I guess even personally, I don't know, uh, figure out their needs, their digital needs and how they can move their businesses forward. Do I have that correct? You do, yes. Um, okay, two different companies, both with um, a passion and foundation in education and both the inspiration behind both names was from the book Blue Ocean Strategy. Okay. And in that book was about? That book was about how companies and, and studying why they've grown. So okay. what does this ambiguous term <laughs> of blue ocean mean? Let's talk about red ocean, Frankie. You're Coke. Yeah. I'm Pepsi. We're competing for the same client. We're going to cut, cut each other, injure each other, blood, shark-infested waters. That's a red ocean. Blue ocean companies, right. Frankie, are different. They're innovative. They're collaborative. They don't have competitors. They combine value curves. And so... Um, our blue ocean strategy for both of our companies that Margarita and I envisioned was education. And so we lead with education. If I meet someone on the streets of Manhattan, uh, as I just did uh, an hour ago, and they say, well, come here, tell me about what you do. You know, I never say, I'm the CFO of these companies or co-founder. I always say I'm an educator and I'm passionate about learning and investing in myself so that I can invest in other people and share knowledge and information. And that's the foundation of my life. I mean, I can't even imagine that um, many companies can can look after their own digital needs because it's going so, it, I mean, it moves so fast that you really need someone who's an expert in it to keep up with it to help you with that. Because if you're in the business of, you know, uh, painting dogs, like you don't have time to look after all of your internet needs. <laughs> you're painting dogs oh. all day. So you don't have time to read up on all what's changing and what what's new and where, where you have to advertise and where you have to put your mm -hmm. hard-earned dollars. Would that be fair the to world say? Is, absolutely. The, the world has changed, Frank. I mean, you think about the digital revolution, you know, the world's largest accommodation provider owns no real estate in Airbnb. Uh, the most valuable retailer has no inventory in, in Alibaba. The world's most popular media owner that we all know, Facebook, creates no content and the world's largest yeah. taxi company in Uber owns no vehicles. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that your reputation now, uh, we always say, uh, whether that's my colleague Rajiv Sharma at our technology company or Rita, we say you are what you are online these days. And, uh, you know, when you're posting or sending something, computers remember those uh, things forever. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in fact, when I've been lecturing and speaking, I've shared that Hey, uh, in fact, tomorrow uh, we've been hired our executive team to speak at the National Student Leadership Conference. And uh, I was mentioning to young people, I say, you know, your, your Facebook news feed, there are algorithms out there that can go and create a report and look back at everything that you've done. And 
should see some of these kids' faces. I think they start deleting things <laughs> as we're speaking. But <laughs> well, Facebook uh, does it for you. Every they, they give you an anniversary and go, look what you've done. Look how many likes you've had. Look who who your friends are. Look at you know. They give you a little synopsis and slice of yeah, your life. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and and reputation is so important. Like Eric yeah. Schmidt in his book Digital Revolution, uh, chairman of Google says that there will be more people managing online reputations and I think there will be financial professionals uh, in the United States 20 years from now. And that's a pretty big statistic. And, you know, he had an interesting quote that I remembered from uh, one of either one of his, his speeches or, or reading. And he said that the Internet is the first thing that humanity has built that humanity doesn't understand. The largest mm. experiment an anarchy that we have ever had. <laughs> I thought that um, had some um, clairvoyance and truth to it. That's crazy, yeah. You know, that reminds me of, of um, uh, Severn, uh, um, oh, geez, what's her name? I can't, I, I'm going brain dead today, unfortunately. Um, I can't remember. Oh, this is terrible. It'll come to me. But anyway, she was, spe- she was speaking at the UN and she was talking about, you know, how, how, how humanity is, is, uh, doing all this stuff, like wrecking the ozone layer and doing all of these things that we don't understand. Again, um, we don't know how to fix it. So why are we breaking it? <laughs> like it, it's crazy. Um, and it's so interesting. But for for your company and for the education and, and all of the things that you do, um, you're right. We don't understand that. And and I, I have to think of that a President Trump should have hired you before he sits on the throne and, and tweets out things that are ridiculous. <laughs> and and then you have to hire, you know, your friend Rajiv, who, who can un, unclick it, I guess, <laughs> if that's the word, um, you know, manage it by, by somehow removing it or, or diluting it so that it's not as bad as it seems to be and that's an interesting thing mm-hmm. i mean there are young people you know who i remember the very first time actually it was somebody uh they were going to get fired from their job um at starbucks because of their facebook profile and it became a big thing you know can you you know it's your personal life can you fire somebody for what they put on their facebook like that doesn't sound right and yet today you know i look at my daughter who's going to be a police officer and 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 her friends, and they're taking stuff like, you know, you can't have anything up. You have to take down your profile. Like, you, you don't want anything up there that anybody can come forward at you and say, hey, you know what? You, you used to be like this or you used to do that or you talked about something. And, and they're going to come back and haunt you. So then they need yeah. to hire you guys to, you know, wipe that clean if they can. Well, you know, there's it's always a challenge when you, you have to put toothpaste back in the tube. We're big advocates yeah. of, for companies and, and, and people of building a positive reputation, monitoring it, and that can help protect against the need to repair a reputation. Like, for instance, many of our clients come from PR companies and other agencies. Like, we're an agency partner, which I think gives us a differentiated level of trust. Mm-hmm. And when there's a crisis situation for a company and they haven't uh, addressed a, a particular need, um, you know, you could look at the airlines and escorting uh, that doctor. Oh, my gosh, yeah. They, as, as We're a, going to go to commercial. Thing. Sorry, I want to talk about that situation because sure. that's a huge one, and I'd like to see how you guys could have handled it for them. We're going to commercial break. This is so good. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Frankie Sense and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Whether you are a man, woman, boy, or girl, lifting weights is an important component to your exercise program. LiveStrong says that challenging your body with different exercises and routines helps keep your workout interesting and effective. Make sure that when you're lifting weights, you are working to fatigue or failure to get the most benefits. When lifting weights, reaching failure means that you could not possibly do one more rep. Your muscle has failed. Fatigue means you can barely do one or two more repetitions and keep your good form. If your workout is too easy and you're not reaching failure or fatigue, it's time to lift heavier weights. Be aware that your form is vital and reaching fatigue or failure is much more important than hitting a certain number of repetitions. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. Each year, the United States Postal Service successfully ships over 160 billion packages and letters with bills traveling through the mail at twice the speed of checks. Automated sorting machines read zip codes and directs the mail to the proper destination. But last year, they failed to read some 2.4 billion pieces of mail, all because of cacography. That's bad handwriting. So what happens to all that errant mail? The post office hires more than 700 postal clerks to decipher the most difficult ones. When a sorting machine discovers an illegible address, it scans and sends a digital image to the clerk's computers. Amazingly, the average clerk can crack the code in just three seconds. Not everyone can keep up, though, as management at the post office is always pushing the envelope. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. I'm here with my good friend, Samir Samal, and, and uh, we are talking about all things, all things. It could be anything, you know what? But he is the CFO of Blue Ocean Global Wealth and the CFO of Blue Ocean Global Technology. And wealth and technology do tend to go hand in hand. And it's it's an interesting, um, you were going to talk about the airlines taking the good doctor off and, and their reputation. So let's talk about brand and reputation for a moment. How did that hurt sure, yeah, I mean, look, for, first and foremost, your, your reputation now is a confluence of factors. It's your social media, it's your written content, your print content, it's interviews, it's websites. So there has to be a coordinated plan to align mission, vision, values with technology, marketing, communication. But we always try to remind folks when we're educating and speaking at a conference, Frankie, that I think it was Warren Buffett who said it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five mm. minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you will do things differently. And reputations that are built over lifetime can be destroyed in seconds. I mean, the brand is the rep- representation uh, of a company. And uh, even so, more importantly, it can be of an individual. And you know, brands are selling points for, for entering into business and personal relationships. And as you mentioned, the, the Starbucks, uh, employee, or um, it even goes as far as somebody having the same name as you. We've encountered mm-hmm. situations where uh, somebody was losing perspective in existing clients because they were assumed to be fraudulent uh, based upon what somebody with the same name has been doing. So I think that reputation is becoming more and more important. Uh, you know, we've had 
prospective clients before they became clients said, you know, Samir, we get all our business through referrals. So we don't really care about our online presence. And and Mm -hmm. I always explain that when somebody shares your name and says, hey, this company did a really good job for me, they're not picking up the phone and calling you. They're going to the internet. They're Googling you. They're Googling the company. Uh, And so that's changed the entire dynamic. And and it can be uh, an opportunity and you can leverage the speed of trust by having uh, and and building a proactive profile online. Conversely, if you don't uh, repair a negative reputation or mitigate it or address it, it can be a liability. uh, And that works in your favor or against you when you're on vacation with your family or when you're um, watching Game of Thrones on Sunday evening. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, you remember the United had that... um... They had the musician on and they threw his guitar and they broke his guitar and he came back. He was from Nova Scotia and he came back and he wrote this great song about how mm-hmm. United broke his guitar and it became a huge YouTube hit. And, you know, I think over 15 million views at this point. Yeah. The, yeah. The three-part and then, video and series. then here they go and they, you know, take a 60, you know, 69 year old guy, drag him off an airplane, a doctor who has important patients who he has to heal the next day. Um, and, like, honestly, like that one drove me crazy. That drove me crazy. And yet the next day after that, I'm reading how Air Canada had had just canceled a ticket for this woman who had spent $10,000 on her National Geographic vacation. And that actually when you purchase a ticket, you're not really purchasing a ticket. They, they can mm-hmm. take that ticket away from you anytime they want. Um, and they were what they were doing was they were putting money back into your bank account without you knowing it. And yet her online presence... Uh, on on Air Canada um, Air, uh, website was that she still had a valid ticket, and so she shows up and they're like, "Oh, sorry, you're you're not on this. We've already taken you off this flight." And she's like, "What?" And they don't reimburse <laughs> you for the ten thousand dollars. You know, she's planned it for the last nine months. She's had a ticket, and they they were doing that left, right, and center. Now, how do they get away with it? Well, because people who need to travel by air have to travel by air. You know, they kind of have a monopoly in a way. Um, so they, I don't think they care about their reputation that much. They, if they did, they they would change a lot of things, a lot of things on an airline, um, including you know paying for horrible food. Um, like you go to Europe and it's it's a different story when you're flying than than in North America, right? They they do things a little bit differently. So I don't know if it's because I have a monopoly that they don't care about their reputation. I was brought up, you only have, mm-hmm. you know, one chance to make a good impression. And, and so reputation has been really, really important to me, like my whole entire Mm -hmm. life. Um, And so I guard it jealously, but Mm -hmm. some people, Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't seem to care about it, but you're right. You know, today, the very first thing you do is you go and you Google somebody, Mm -hmm. what's their website? What do they have on their website? Because, you know, if you don't have a website, you're going, how come they don't have a website? That's strange. Yeah. Right? Like, what's going on? They're not legit. They're not legit. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I think it's important for a company to build and monitor their online reputation. And they didn't take it seriously 10 years ago. But now, you know, smart companies take into consideration what they need to do to build a positive reputation and and take precautions. And, you know, it's building is about, I I think, Noah's rule from uh, the Bible. Predicting rain doesn't count, but building the ark does and uh, a strong online presence and web presence and digital marketing presence is going to mitigate the impact of negative posts and, and drive sustainable growth. I, I want to just briefly touch upon 
the the United Guitar Incident. I believe sure. that was um, singer and songwriter. I think his name was Dave Carroll, and he was yeah. uh, flying, as you said, uh, I think from Canada to the U.S., I think Nova Scotia to the Midwest, um, Nebraska or something, and uh, he had a layover, uh, I think, at O'Hare in Chicago, and, um, you know, he he actually overheard a passenger say, like, my God, they're throwing guitars out there. And, um, you know, he discovered the damage, and, you know, it was really a customer service um, snafu. I mean, he tried for nine months to get a claim processed with United, and the response of United was a consistent no. And they didn't want to give $1,200, which was the cost of the repair, and they subsequently had, I think, over 10 million negative reviews. I mean, Dave gave an honest effort. He tried phone calls. He tried emails. I yeah. think he suggested at one point, like, hey, give me 1,200 in flight vouchers. And United said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And, you know, then all of a sudden he creates the song that you mentioned, and that's the YouTube sensation. And then they're begging him to take it down and offering him compensation. And he's like, out of principle, I can't, I, I can't do that now. So that was a classic example of the way the internet has changed reputation, and um, yeah, that was a big Absolutely. learning lesson. Absolutely, and you know, twelve hundred dollars was cheap, and and really, and they could have given that out so easily. And you know, if you are a musician and a guitar player, that's that's an inexpensive guitar. You know, like my husband has eight guitars, and some of them are over four thousand dollars because it, just the sound or whatever. Like that's like. Some people go, oh, my God, I thought guitars cost a couple hundred bucks. Well, they do if you're a beginner and you don't care what they sound like. So, you know, he was – this is his job. That was his his livelihood, this guitar. It wasn't like, you know, it was recreational. So they were hurting him in his pocket. Hang on, oh my God. Samir, you're, you're breaking up there for a moment. We're going to see if we can't help that sound. Um, give us a moment. We're going to call you right back, be, and, but keep talking. And, okay, we're going to call you right back. I'm going to keep talking. You're gonna, we're going to call you right back because you've, you've, you've become garbled and we can't understand you anymore. Just hang in there. Karina will get right back at you. This is such a great conversation that we're having with Samir. And if you are in the business or any business and you – you know, reputation is everything, and you really should guard it as jealously as you possibly can. And and when you um, are heart centered in 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 your in your work, and you care about your customers, customers are going to care about you too. And this is what's so beautiful about Blue Ocean Global Wealth and Blue Ocean Global Technology is that they really do care about the people that they work with. They care about making real friends and real relationships. And I think that's the key is to have a real relationship that um, you know with with people. And then you ask for their business. And then they there's trust that it, that comes from that. And you you get to um, build a lifelong you know history with them. And I think that's really exciting. Are you there, Samir? Absolutely. Life is about relationships. And I think that sometimes we approach situations and people with an agenda. And people know when, you know, I think one of my former colleagues taught me this. He's like, one of my former bosses, he said, you know, Samir, people are really smart. They know when you've helped them and done more for them than they've done for you. And 
that's an opportunity to build relationships. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I try to, uh, you know, I think we have a philosophy, myself, Rita, uh, Rajiv, Jaspal, uh, you know, it, give without remembering and, and receive without forgetting. And I think that's giving beautiful. and trying to help someone, um, we're able to create more value. <laughs> Sorry. You know, and, and that's true. And, and I love that. I love that philosophy. And I wish more people had that philosophy. It'd be a wonderful world that we all lived in if that was the truth, you know? Um, I want to just talk, touch on, on financial planning and wealth for a moment because mm-hmm. it scares a lot of people. You know, people say, well, I don't have any money. I mean, when I wanted to introduce mm-hmm. you to somebody, they go, well, well, why? I don't have any money. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. well, that's a little short-sighted. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, how much money do you have to have in order to engage with somebody about wealth planning or financial planning? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's certainly confusion around the notion of financial planning versus investment management. For instance, much of the financial industry is compensated based upon a percentage of assets under management and investment portfolio. And investments are one component of a financial plan or a comprehensive financial planning process. So financial planning encompasses, hey, what are all these quantitative factors in terms of your investments and um different, you know, your budget, assets, liabilities, and what are your qualitative goals and how do we integrate these aspects of investments and risk management through insurance and estate planning and taxes? And how do we um, keep people on the road to financial independence accounting for all those goals? So my answer to your question about how much money is that I think it is about planning, like financial planning, uh, I joke, Margarita Tegg, she's uh, you know, nicknamed the financial planning goddess because she really lives financial planning. Like what drives her and she derives happiness is getting someone across the finish line where they are able to stay on the road to financial independence. Uh, she celebrates, uh, you know, when she's able to identify a situation with a client, uh, for instance, like in the United States, uh, in the social security code, Frankie, if you've been married for 10 years, divorced for two, you can collect social security on your ex-spouse and, they don't even know about it, and it can increase uh, your benefit. And so those nuances allow you to have additional cash flow. And there's a difference yeah. between having assets and spending. Like, you know, they're um, – Oh, we're going to go to commercial or, break, or, or, but that's a super sure. good point. I really like that. And and Rita's going to have to come back and talk about that because she really um, <laughs> does really care Absolutely. about women. And, and what a heart this woman has. She's just beautiful. But that's a really good point. I like that. You're going to have a whole bunch of women going after their, their husband's assets. <laughs> But okay, don't go anywhere. I didn't say that, but the reader can speak. Nuggets are going to come out of his mouth, and you're going to want to, you know, collect them in your basket. (laughs) Don't go anywhere, okay? Or go go get a drink or whatever. But come back. Just make sure you come back. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. Notice that no matter how carefully you put the Christmas lights away, they still come out all cringle crangled and jitterty jitterty the next year. Christmas tree lights were invented in 1882 by Thomas Edison, and by 1900, these miniature versions of his electric light bulb were being advertised to the public. In 1895, Grover Cleveland proudly sponsored the first electrically lit Christmas tree in the White House, featuring more than a hundred multicolored lights. By the next Christmas, members of high society were hosting flambustious Christmas tree parties. 
Of course, in those early days, the services of a wireman had to be obtained, as many people had considered electricity as a bit of a bugaboo. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Do you want to live longer? Then eat a handful of nuts every day. According to a 30-year Harvard study, the risk of dying of heart disease dropped 29%, and the risk of dying of cancer fell 11% among those who had nuts seven or more times a week, compared with people who never ate them. We also know that people who eat nuts every day, be it peanuts, walnuts, pecans, pistachios, or my favorite, almonds, stay slimmer than those who do not eat nuts. The study found that the participants who often ate nuts were also healthier. They weighed less, exercised more, and were less likely to smoke, among other things. Not only do nuts taste delicious, now we have research that shows they increase longevity. Having a handful of nuts every day is a great healthy living practice. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Well, we're back. You have been listening to Frankie Sense and more. It's an unusual show because I only have one guest. Usually I got a few, but Samir makes up for like he's like 10 people in one. All of his energy is so good. But, you know, the best conversations always happen off air. And we were talking um, about giving back. And I think that, you know, we both feel very strongly about um, social impact and giving back. And so let's talk, Samir, about the ways that you like to give back. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think I am. Um live by that that Winston Churchill notion. It's a foundational pillar of our companies is you make a living by what you get and a life by what you give. Mm. And I explain oftentimes to young people that, hey, sometimes we're encouraged to do community service because it looks good on a college application. But actually by giving back, um, you increase your life opportunity set and you learn so much. There have been many, many situations where I've given my time, for instance, um, I uh, am involved and volunteered for the American India Foundation uh, and I've, being a bridge of, of those two cultures. And, for instance, I visited a girls' school uh, in India, uh, in Delhi, with my colleague uh, Richita Sharma. And, we, uh, and there was a video that was created. And just because that video has been out there, I've had people approach me and recognize that, hey, we truly care uh, about building tomorrow's global leaders. And... You know, I, I think that when you give, uh, it comes back to you in perpetuity Absolutely. over time. And uh, in Indian culture, Frankie, there's a saying in the translation uh, is that giving, you, you, you put it in a bottomless well. You just throw it in a well, and over the course of your life, uh, it, it comes back to you. And I'm honored to surround myself with people like yourself, uh, like my business partner, Rita, who are so committed to spending their own personal time to enrich the lives of others and not keeping score about it, not thinking about how's it going to come back to me, right. doing it because we genuinely feel good about it uh, and, uh, and helping people is, is how we derive happiness. And, you know, helping people is a really good way. If you're feeling really down and, and you're really blue, when you help other people, you tend to feel a lot better. And not just because, you know, you feel better about yourself. It's just when you're giving, it is a good feeling and it, it creates, you know, a different mindset and you recognize yeah. how fortunate you are. You're grateful for that. 
and and it just feels good you know giving feels good so uh, you know people whether it's it's a corporate responsibility program you give through or it's a, or it's personal giving or you want to go to habitat for humanity or the american indian you know foundation or whatever it is go out and do it and volunteering is so important for young people for anybody really but especially for young people because you can get so many skills through volunteerism um that that you don't have to pay for even you know you get great skills job skills that will take you places that you you know you may want to go in the future that you didn't know you wanted to go to but um you know you you could be a project manager you could be uh you know whatever and and it's just a really great great way to do it and there's so many people in need and so it's a wonderful you know i i think volunteering is amazing and recognizing volunteers is very important Mm -hmm. And it's something that, you know, when I worked for the provincial government, that's something I made sure that we did was that we had programs that recognized people who volunteered because we had so many who did who did that. And it's, you know, everybody, everybody needs um, some recognition. And it's not not saying, oh, what a good person you are necessarily. But it's just saying, you know what, we're really happy that you think about other people. And we recognize that. And it's a, and it's a good quality to have. Definitely. And I think giving a big part of our culture is, the empowerment and giving and providing opportunities uh, for women. And, you know, there's a multitude of reasons for that. Uh, Among them, uh, I think women uh, being a student of diversity and uh, Rita and I have authored a CE program on diversity uh, in terms of, you know, age, gender, and race. And we've authored a chapter in a textbook on uh, the psychology of women investors. But, Women, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, it's been proven, for instance, when you involve women on the board of a particular organization, performance improves. And, you know, I think women can more uh, intuitively combine and seamlessly combine intuitive and logical thinking. They're more aware, frankly, of their own actions and others. They can better assess resources to solve a problem. And one of my favorites that always gets a chuckle when speaking is that I think women, for the most part, relatively speaking to men, know how to use their ears and mouth uh, proportionately, which I think is a big competitive <laughs> advantage for them um, in, in, in the business world. And so um, a country like India, where there's 250 million you know, women under the age of 26, we see a, a unique opportunity and a historic opportunity uh, to be able to um, be collaborative. Uh, you know, and it's not, we're, we're not biased per se, um, we're just taking a step to bridge gender diversity in business. That's a foundation. Right. And we pride ourselves that our uh, you know, that a woman is, you know, our CEO. And, um, you know, I, I think that that can be a defining uh, identity for um, the ways that, that we're thoughtful about impacting um, this world. Well, I think that's amazing. And, and I told you earlier about, um, you know, that the show is, is loosely aligned with the United Nations Global Goals. And one of those goals is quality education, and especially for women, because many countries around the world, women are not educated, or they're not allowed to go to school, or they're only allowed to go to school for a little bit, unless they're needed at home. And, and so, um, you know, education is imperative that everybody get educated. And that at least, you know, you're offering this education to people. And, um, you know, Ivan Meisner, he was the head of BNI. I interviewed him many, many years ago. And, and, you know, he talked about how givers get, you know, and he would never ask anybody for business unless he had, you know, at least given them something three times, met them and, and 
you know, offer to help them and help them in some which, you know, way, shape or form before asking for business. Because, you know, you have to build that trust and, and edu- by you educating and telling people what it is that they don't know, they're getting this information and, and are better able to trust you because now they know what, what to expect or what they're, they're not getting or what they need and are more informed to be able to work with you. It's not just, you know, you saying, oh, well, you need to do this, this, and this. No, you have educated them, and they're able to decide now what they need. And and that's empowering people, and that's really very special. Uh, absolutely, and I think um, you can always better your best. You can always go further than anything you've ever done, and that's even if you just look at uh, representing our organization at the Women's Economic Forum, that is um, a precursor to us becoming friends, how I met Alex and how we connected here because of this shared passion and this notion of um, wanting to provide equal opportunities. And, um, you know, I think we also, Rita has been, certainly had a profound impact on my life across the board, but she made the point several years ago. She said, you know, Samir, you shouldn't really be shy about the fact that you're passionate about helping women and, and, and the empowerment of women. Like, in fact, we need men to be behind this cause in order to truly have a multiplicative impact and make a difference. And, uh, you know, talk is cheap. And so I think we try to lead by action. And, of course, yeah. sharing our perspective is part of that. But I, I think that, um, you know, you, you try to just do it one day at a time, the beauty of the future. Do you have a story? Do you have a story about why you want to help women or does anything, you know, come up for you about, gee, yeah, you know, my sister or my this or my that, like, is there anything in your life history that, that you looked at or saw and went, wow, that's not fair. Yeah. um, I can tell you the story of a young woman uh, that works for us. Uh, She, um, we actually, her, her husband uh, has done some work for us for, for quite some time on a freelance basis, and he came to me one day uh, when I was in India, and he said, you know, Samir, my wife is brilliant, and she, um, right out of, of college, was outselling uh, all of her colleagues that were much older than her and many of her male counterparts, and uh, they used to tell her, his wife, that despite her producing exponentially more than anyone else that she's spending too much time reading and her numbers aren't good enough. She's not making enough phone calls. And that used to break her heart because she just gave her heart and soul to this blindly. And it hurt her so much, the humiliation of instead of celebrating her success, being reprimanded, uh, that, that she left that job. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out that, um, he explained to me the situation. He said, you should talk to her. And so, he sent me some of her articles, and um, while uh, she was actually um, pregnant, uh, she started working for us and learning about our system and our culture uh, and working remotely. And, um, you know, she has since had her child, and now she's back working with us in a flexible model so that nice. she can have an impact and provide, uh, you know, and, and apply her skills and, and be a leader. And there's a whole global group of, of displaced women, uh, you know, and, and if we can solve, Frankie, how the biological curve is in contrast with the career opportunity set curve, uh, as I think Andrew Nui once mentioned in a speech to CEO Pepsi, I think that is a true opportunity to make a difference. And so our organization is passionate about the very state of it. So uh, our, our, our colleague that I'm mentioning to you, um, she's the leader in this initiative for us. And we're going to continue to look for 
young mothers and people that have something to offer and skills, but they can't work in the traditional model. They right. love being moms and they want to be there for their kids, but they also uh, have time to, to give back. And so I think being flexible and being nimble allows us to um, be more thoughtful and, and have a greater impact over the course of time. I 100% agree with that. I mean, we look at your creativity, your flexibility, the innovation, the inclusiveness, the heart-centered, the um I mean, this is this is an this is an incredible business that two of you, you and Rita have built. And you know, everything comes from its leaders and from the heart and from the center of an organization. And so your corporate culture, I mean, you know, I haven't met that many people, but I've met enough now. I think that, you know, I can see you, you, you all come from a similar ilk and you engage people who are like you and, you know, like attracts like in the law of attraction and social consciousness. <laughs> and so, you know, it, uh, and, and so, you know, you're going to be expanding and, and putting this wonderful, positive, you know, positivity out into the universe and in, and in the, you know, the world of business, and that's just going to make the world a much better place. So including women and including, you, you know, working around the globe, look how fast, you know, 20 years ago, we, we might not, never have met, but because of the internet, because of, you know, this technology that, that you're driving, uh, you know, we're fast friends with, within hours, like it's crazy. So we've got a minute left. Do you want to have any final parting words? Uh, let's go to your website anyway. Let's take people to your website, please. Sure. Our technology company website is www.blueoceanglobaltech.com, or if you type in blueoceanglobaltechnology.com. And our wealth company website is www.blueoceanglobalwealth.com. Dot com and you can find us on LinkedIn, Samir, S-A-M-E-R, Samal, S-O-M-A-L, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and, um, you know, I just have to, on the spirit of giving, I have to say for all of you audience members that um, have pets or have someone that loves pets, you have to check out Frankie. Oh, thank you so much. Because we're out of time. We're out of really time. <laughs> puts her heart and soul into that. <laughs> She's cutting me off now. <laughs> I'm cutting you off. God bless everybody. We love you. Come back next week. Cheers. Bye. She and I, you, she the one way to turn the world.